Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Pat Klein, on some open doors to bring Bibles into the communist country of Cuba. The people realized that the country's falling apart when I was just there last week. Everybody was saying how they were able to minister to people from the government. And even the people in the government are coming to the churches and saying, we need help. You know, we can't make it on our salaries. We can't keep food on the table for our families. And so they're opening up to the gospel like never before. Pat Klein, next. For decades, Pat Klein and his teams from Vision Beyond Borders have brought Bibles and various humanitarian supplies to believers in countries where life is very difficult. On this Thanksgiving Day, we'll talk to him about his recent trip to the communist nation of Cuba and why he's thankful for a greater openness by the government there to Bibles coming into the country. Pat, tell us about your background and how you came to start Vision Beyond Borders. Well, I got saved when I was 18 years old. I uh, did not grow up in a Christian home, a religious home, but not Christian home. And I just, I could not get enough of the Bible after I got saved. And I just started reading the Bible and made a commitment to the Lord that I would read the Bible at least an hour a day and spend at least an hour a day in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that now for over 40 years and just really see the importance of getting God's word around the world. So we've been working to get Bibles in, working with the persecuted church in closed countries for many, many years, uh, trying to work with them to help them get scriptures in their own language. Uh, went to China for over 30 years, uh, been kicked out of China twice, blacklisted uh, for bringing Bibles in. Uh, been blacklisted from Iran as well for bringing Bibles into Iran and just trying to help the persecuted church. And you've been doing this now for over... Over 30 years? Uh, close to 40 years. And do you take uh, inspiration? I mean, obviously God's Word. Are there any people in church history, anybody that has inspired you or motivated you to do this kind of work? You know, I love the Apostle Paul, um, but when I first got saved, somebody gave me a copy of God Smuggler by Brother Andrew. And I read this book, Bill. This is amazing. This guy is going behind the Iron Curtain, carrying Bibles, And I just thought this would be so amazing to be a part of getting Bibles to persecuted Christians around the world. And so I started, I got on their mailing list. I started praying for the persecuted church. Little did I know years later, I would meet some of the people I'd been praying for and be able to deliver Bibles to them and hear their story face to face. It was incredible. Did you ever have an opportunity to meet Brother Andrew? I think he might have died earlier this year. He did. And unfortunately, I didn't get to meet him, but I heard that he prayed for Vision Beyond Borders on a daily basis, is what I was told. Well, uh, tell us how the ministry works. I mean, in other words, you you bring Bibles into countries, uh, and I know there's more to it, much more to it than that, but but how do you decide where to go? Uh, We just pray. And, you know, um, like I said, I was going to China for 31 years. I've been uh, stopped twice, and I've been stopped more times than that, but twice— they actually stopped me and then kicked me out of the country, blacklisted me. So the first time I came back, I changed my name, got a new passport, and then went back. Uh, but then I got caught again, and now they have facial recognition software, and they have fingerprint scanners, so you can't get away with it the second time. 
So what happens is you start carrying Bibles in and you meet a contact, you start working with them. Maybe somebody will recommend, hey, can you bring Bibles for so-and-so? So you start bringing Bibles for them. Then they say, hey, I got a friend over here. Can you help this friend? And if it's spread out to Vietnam and Laos and, and other communist countries. And so it just has grown from there. And then also we work into Muslim countries as well, trying to get scriptures to underground believers in close countries, uh, Muslim countries. So, so obviously what you're saying then is in the, in the at least in some Muslim countries, uh, communist countries, access to the Bible is very difficult. It's very, it's illegal in a lot of places. Um, or and in a lot of places, it's very difficult to get Bibles. Um, unless you try to buy them on the black market. Like in China, we were bringing study Bibles for the pastors. If a pastor could buy one on the black market, they would pay six months to a year salary to buy one. And I actually, a couple of years ago, got to hold in my hands, hand-copied New Testaments from China. Hmm. So years ago, Far East Broadcast was, was reading the Bible over the radio from Hong Kong into China, they met a pastor a couple of years into it. He said, thank you very much for reading the Bible to us. He said, but could you please read slower? Because as you're reading, we're transcribing the Bible. So you meet these believers around the world that are just so hungry for the word of God. And it's like, what can we do to help you? And they say, bring us Bibles. We're desperate for Bibles. And so that's the main thrust of our ministry, but also we're going more and more to unreached peoples, peoples who've never heard the gospel. Because, you know, in Matthew 24, 14, it says this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a sign, and then the end will come. And so we're just saying, let's go to more places where they've never heard the name of Jesus. Let's get the gospel to them and then follow it up with bringing them Bibles in their own language. So th these are these are countries that... Um that have not heard the gospel, but there are, but they speak languages where the Bible exists in? Um, in most places, yes. Um, some places we have to work with them to get translations of the Bible. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a process. Sometimes we can get audio recordings in the language, or, you know, we use flannel graphs, uh, the felt sets to teach kids the stories of Jesus. So that doesn't have to be in their language. They, if they have scriptures, they can just use the scriptures for those and just read the Bible story and then put the figures on, on the flannel. And so we just try to find ways to reach them. What is, what's the most effective way to reach them in their own language? Uh, we've used the Jesus film a lot as well. That's helped us a lot. Mm. Well, you uh, have recently uh, brought to my attention that your outreach to Cuba seems to be, has hit a point where it's improving, but I'm wondering uh, for those that maybe the, the knowledge of Cuba is scant, uh, what, what drew you to want to reach out to that particular country? You know, when I heard, um, you know, they under communism, and they're only 90 miles from the U.S., um, and I had heard that they needed Bibles, I've said, okay, Lord, I'll go. And that was over 30 years ago. And I, I prayed and I just felt like I should go to Cuba. So my first trip over about maybe 31, 32 years ago, I had 130 Bibles in my bag and I was stopped at customs and they took my Bibles away. I was really disappointed and heartbroken. And I thought, well, maybe I missed the Lord. Maybe I'm not supposed to come here. And so I was on a tour. Uh, one day they had a tour of, of downtown Havana. And I got on this tour and I was talking with the tour driver, the, the bus driver, but he's also a tour guide. And I started talking to him and I told him what happened, how they took the Bibles away from me. And here's an unsaved man. He says to me, Patrick, don't worry. 
He said, they will not burn those Bibles. They'll sell them on the black market and God will get them into the hands of the people he wants them to have. Have them. And so I was, I was just like, okay, Lord, I think you're, you, I am supposed to be here. And I walked down the street and I saw a young man reading a New Testament outside of the shop. And I said to him, I said, sir, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no, would you explain it to me? And so I sat down with him and I shared the gospel with him and prayed with him for salvation. So I just felt like, yes, I am in the right place. Uh, it didn't work the way I thought it would. But now with what God is doing to open the country, we're getting a lot of scriptures in. So I see that it really was the hand of God in the, in the first place. But, you know, you have trials and you have perseverance. You have to persevere through those trials. And, and Cuba, uh, just just uh, d- to talk about it a little bit, I mean, it is obviously uh, p- people that have, have any familiarity with it, a very difficult place to live in terms of uh, both the government, but also the poverty there, which is quite extensive. You know, the average family of four makes 18 to $20 a month, 18 to $20 a month. Um, they have to buy their rations, which a monthly ration for a person is five pounds of rice, eight ounces of beans, a half a chicken leg, five eggs, a pound of sugar, and a pound of cooking oil. That's their ration. And then they, every day they get one dinner roll. And so if they have it available, then they can get what they need. But if it's not available, like let's say, they, you know, they've had hurricanes go through and the chickens have been wiped out. So there's no eggs on the black market, in the ration stores. And so they can buy some things on the black market, but that's if they have cash, they can pay for it. And so life is very hard there. Um, I just came back. I was just there again last week. Um, Gasoline is $14 a gallon, and you can only buy five gallons at a time on the black market. So everybody's leaving. People are saying enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. So in the last year, I heard that 400,000 people have left Cuba, an island with 11 million people on it. Uh, It used to be when you fly into the airport, there were hundreds of people uh, welcoming their families back from, from Miami to come visit them. Uh, last couple times I've gone there, there's nobody at the airport because they can't they can't get the gas to go to the airport to meet their family coming in, and uh, it's just sad because there was hardly anybody on the road. I mean, the roads are, it's it's just kind of crazy because they have good roads in the city, but there's no you know it's like these old cars from the 50s. I mean, you don't have a lot of modern vehicles. Um, you know, it's not uncommon to see a 50 Chevy car and then right next to it a horse drawn trip uh, mm. a, a little cart you know and it's it's just unbelievable that you have this world that's kind of 60 years behind the United States it's just it just doesn't make sense in healthcare obviously it goes without saying that it's uh it lags way behind as well you know it's unbelievable i i met a surgeon years ago he made 20 dollars a month and he said, if I become the head surgeon, I'll make $25 a month. And he showed me a piece of surgical thread. He, it was about three feet long. He said, this is for a dire emergency. If one of my family members or one of my friends needs a surgery, I can cut them open and sew them back up. He said, we have knives. We can cut people open, but we have no thread to sew them back up. So sometimes we'll take spools of, of surgical thread in with us or, you know, even in the United States, a lot of surgical places, they'll open a tray up and maybe use a few parts and then throw it away. So people bring us that surgical thread 
and those needles. And we take that down there to help them. Um, my friend's wife, about four years ago, she had a baby and she had diabetes with her pregnancy. So she was in the top maternity hospital for four months with diabetes. Mm. And they had to bring water and food to her twice a day because the water was not safe in the maternity hospital. And she said the day before there was a worm swimming in her soup. She couldn't eat the food. So they had to bring food to her twice a day, food and water. They said there was six ladies sharing one bathroom. They said, you don't want to go in the bathroom. The cockroaches are really big, probably about two inches long. And the elevator didn't work. And one end of the hall, they're doing abortions. The other end of the hall, they're delivering babies. And, you know, the head nurse was lighting up her cigarette. And so it's just, it's not sanitary. Um, when I was just down there a couple of weeks ago, they were telling me that a man broke his leg. They didn't have any casting materials. So they wrapped his leg with saran wrap and put a lampshade around it to protect his leg. And that's in the hospital? In the hospital. And my friend, um, he actually is a pastor, and he had cut his leg pretty bad, and he has diabetes. And so my friend said, all I could find was uh, antibiotics for a dog, and it was 10 years expired. And he said he gave this injection, he prayed over him, and he said, I stayed with him for two weeks to make sure he wouldn't have a, a bad reaction to this antibiotic. And thankfully, it saved his leg. Mm. But they have no medicine. And so we've been hauling medicine in. And I mean, you, I mean, an island with 11 million people, they need a lot of medicine. And so we're just doing what we can. And the customs has changed because now they see the country's falling apart. They have no food. They have no medicine. They're running out of everything. And for 30 years, carrying Bibles in and supplies in. And Bill, you didn't know when you got to customs what they're going to do. I mean, I, I came in one time, 831 Bibles, five sewing machines. We had thread, we had needles, we had fabric, scissors, everything. And the customs cleaned us out, took everything. There was one suitcase they didn't see with Bibles in it, but they took everything. And it was just heartbreaking because you brought this stuff to help them and the government takes it away from you. And then they either sell it on the black market or give it to the people in the name of Fidel. So you are bringing in uh, Bibles, but... You said medicine as well. There's You're perceiving there's an openness that was not there before because the government's recognizing they need help. Is that is that it? Yeah. The people realized that the country's falling apart. When I was just there last week, everybody was saying how they were able to minister to people from the government. And even the people in the government are coming to the churches and saying, we need help. You know, we can't make it on our salaries. We can't. We can't keep food on the table for our families. And so they're opening up to the gospel like never before. Uh, a friend of mine was going back to see his father in the village. He's not a Christian, but he drives a taxi. And he said to my friends, he said, we'll take, I'll take some Bibles back to the village for you, um, and I won't charge you anything. Well, he's driving back to the village. He gets pulled over by a police officer. The police officer sees all the Bibles in the car, and he says, could I have one of those Bibles, please? Mm. And he gave him a Bible, and the guy just hugged the Bible. He was grateful to get the Word of God. So the people are looking for hope. They're realizing communism doesn't work. Their government's failed, and they're looking. And, and even their uh, religion is, comes from Africa, Santeria. It's kind of a death cult. Mm -hmm. It's mixed with the occult. And even that's not working for them. And they're coming in there asking questions of the Christians and saying, how come you're different? 
How come you have peace and joy and love in the midst of all these trials? And it's just great open opportunity to share the gospel. Well, my guest today on His People is Mr. Pat Klein. He is founder of Vision Beyond Borders, uh, a ministry involved in numerous countries of the world at the moment. We're talking about uh, outreach to, to Cuba and uh, a communist country, you said, I think just 90 miles, as we know, 90 miles south of Florida, give or take. What can you tell us about the churches there, the denominations, evangelical churches, ministries? How active are they or how active are they allowed to be? Well, the churches are, the Christians are about four to six percent of the population. And now that number is starting to grow. The churches are very active. It's amazing how they're out looking for opportunities to serve people. They don't have a lot of money, but like um, when there was nobody, the the guys with the garbage trucks were taking the, the diesel fuel, they were stealing it to sell it on the black market to supplement their income because they didn't have enough money. So nobody was picking up the trash. Mm. So our friend, the pastor, he with a couple other pastors, they rented a big dumpster and they were out on the streets picking up all the trash. And the unsaved were saying, look, the Christians are cleaning up our trash. So so they've been looking for opportunities to help the people. Whatever they have, they'll use that. They'll share it with people. And so by the miracle of God, this is amazing what God has done. But in the last six months, about six months ago, we met a guy from a different denomination, and we said, would you help us to bring in a container of Bibles? He said, yes, I will. So we've been carrying them in, in duffel bags and suitcases for years, always risking and customs. Are they going to take them from you? Are they going to take half? Are they going to take all of them? What are they going to take? And so uh, about back in, I think it was June or July, we got the first container in with 37,000 Bibles. Mm. That's a lot. And our friends are so excited because they've never seen that many Bibles in their life. And so they've been sharing with all these different churches, trying to help strengthen and encourage the pastors. And so I talked with one of our friends, a donor. I said, I'd like to send two more containers. He said, let's send them back to back. So we sent 74,000 more Bibles in and they got them. And our friends are just so overjoyed because they're giving Bibles to everybody and people are asking for the word of God. And so this is encouraging the pastors because they now have Bibles to share with their congregations and they're sharing the gospel and they're having new believers and they're able to give them Bibles. You know, Bill, um, years ago, there was a pastor came to to the major church, one of the main churches, and said, I have 60 people in my congregation and I'm the only one with a Bible. Do you have any Bibles? They said, we can't help you. We don't have any. But our friend's wife overheard the conversation. She said, I can't leave right now, but here's my address. I'll call the babysitter. You go to my house, see if we can help you. He went to their house. They gave him 60 Bibles. He sat down on the couch and he wept for 30 minutes. He was grateful to have Bibles to bring back to his congregation. Another church had 40 people in the church pastor was the only one with the Bible. The Christians would take turns going to the pastor's house to read the Bible every day. I mean, they just, they they need hope and they want the word of God because they know it's the truth. And so it's, it's just exciting. Now they have the Bibles, they're getting them out. And we just got permission to send in 100,000 children's storybooks in Spanish about the life of Jesus. We just got permission. And we're just excited. Something's happening in Cuba. God is changing the, the island of Cuba. And that permission is from the government. So something right. is happening. Right. 
It's it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, you know, it's all these years I keep going in and carrying Bibles, and and it's like all of a sudden God has just opened it up and say, okay, here I'm going to open this door, and so we have another fifteen thousand study Bibles on the way. It'll be almost one hundred thirty thousand Bibles in in about six or eight months to go into a communist country. What a change! <laughs> Consider you used to go in there by yourself, just trying to carry in a few suitcases. Right. And, and you were stopped. Right. And you'd lose them all. And you just never knew. I mean, sometimes they take half of them. Sometimes they take a third of them. You never knew. And so now to have container loads, and honestly, Bill, um, the people in customs have always been kind of grouchy and kind of, you know, they, they look down on you and everything else. They have been so friendly. Even when we were just stopped, one of the ladies in our team was stopped, and they went through her bag and everything else. And her supervisor came out and usually they're stern and angry looking. He said, let her go with everything and the rest of the team can go as well. They let us go and it was a miracle. And and I said to the men over the customs, I said, thank you, sir. God bless you, we appreciate you. And he said, no, I wanna thank, thank you. Hmm. And so something is happening and it's like these communists are softening and saying, wow, these Christians are not bad people. They're not trying to overthrow our government. They're, they're coming to help us, and instead of resisting them, we need to help them. So it's a, really a miracle what God is doing. Well, it's interesting, uh, Pat, you mentioned uh, obviously yourself, but you, so you go in with, uh, it, it sounds like a team of some sort. Yes. Yeah, what we do is we put it out to people and we ask people, do you want to come with us to Cuba? And we are getting a lot of people wanting to come and say, I want to go to Cuba. And we had one lady even come from Switzerland and she said, I always wanted to go to Cuba my whole life and to be able to go. And, and she had a great time and was helping give out Bibles. And, and it's just been amazing. And for people to kind of, it's like, it's literally you step back in history, 60, 70 years, but to see what God is doing. And, and Bill, there's something in the church in Cuba. I feel like it's what the church is supposed to be. They work together. They help each other. They're not fighting with each other. They're not arguing with each other. They're saying, hey, we're the minority here. Let's work together so that we can reach more people with the gospel. And it's just beautiful because if I have two shirts and you need one, they're going to give it to you. And, you know, even when I was just there, uh, we had some surgical tape. And this lady works in the emergency room. And I, and my friend said, oh, that's going to be like gold for her to have that surgical tape. So I gave her this package of surgical tape, and I found another one. And I said, here's another one. She said, no, no, no. Give it to somebody else that really needs it as well. And <laughs> they're so grateful, but they're willing to share. It's, a, it's just beautiful. How do people get involved in terms of actually going on a trip? They can go to our website, which is visionbeyondborders.org, visionbeyondborders.org. And we have a trip application on there. We have a trip schedule. And if they're interested in joining a trip, they can reach out to us and say, hey, I would like to go to Cuba. Um, these are the times I have available. Is there a trip going at that time? We're trying to get more and more teams going down to Cuba because everybody carries two 50-pound suitcases. We check them in and then take them through customs. And then we take those supplies to the pastors. We go right to their houses. We see the conditions. Um, in Cuba, they can't build new church buildings, so they have to meet from house to house. And it's just beautiful because you'll see how they'll kind of, it's like, okay, you become a Christian, we meet in your living room, and 
also the church starts to grow. So they start making your living room bigger and bigger. <laughs> you still have your kids in the bathroom, the bedroom, stuff like that. But you make the living room bigger and bigger for the church. And you just come and we spend time with them. We give them a bag of supplies. And Bill, they just break down and cry. They're so grateful for the help because their government's not doing anything to help them, but making life harder and harder. And so they're saying, you know, we appreciate the fact that you love us, that you would leave the comfort of America and you would come down here and spend a few days here in Cuba with us and try to help us. We really appreciate it. And that's visionbeyondborders.org if, if people want yep, more information. Right. So ironically, of course, we can go there, but they cannot easily leave from there. No, it's very difficult. Um, they can get visas now to go to Nicaragua, and for a couple thousand dollars, they can buy a visa if they can get the money. And then they're trying to come up through Honduras, through Mexico, and trying to get in the U.S., and it's very hard. It's very, very dangerous for these people to come. Women are abused all the time and, you know, with the coyotes and, mm-hmm. and all these people. And it's just very, very risky. And, you know, even a friend of mine, her brother tried to come by boat to the U.S. years ago. His buddy paid the $10,000 to get in the boat. There were supposed to be two boats, 30 people, um, $10,000 per head to get in those boats. Only one boat showed up. They went out to sea. They were out to sea in the first day, and a big storm hit them. And out of out of thirty people, only four made it to the U.S. Mm. Only six people were eaten by sharks, and unfortunately, my friend's brother was one of them. So they take a great risk to come to the United States, especially by boat. Um, but they want they want freedom so bad. And really, what I believe they're searching for is Jesus. They're really looking for Jesus and the freedom that comes in Christ and the hope that we have in knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior and and the promises that one day he's coming again to take us to be with him forever. We've been talking about Cuba, but you also go into numerous Asian countries as well. I've actually been to North Korea twice. Uh, Mm. Not South Korea, but North Korea. Um, that was very, very intense. It's the most depressive, dark place I've ever been in my entire life. We need to be praying for our Korean brothers and sisters and uh, that the gospel will go in. Um, but everywhere you saw pictures of the leaders and these huge statues, and it's just this worship of these dead men is horrible. And it's like you can't even have one ounce of love for Jesus Christ. It's like they if you have any love for Jesus or the Word of God or the Bible, you're an enemy of the state. And it's just, I mean, total control. And uh, the people, the first time I went, we were in northern part of uh, in North Korea, and the people wouldn't make eye contact with you. They lived in absolute fear. But you could see there was a few that were really open. And I was just praying that they would see Jesus. They wouldn't see us, but they would see Jesus. The second time I went, we went to Pyongyang, which is a city of 3 million people. Hmm. There's no street lights, No street lights at all. Everybody's apartment's the same. And they have pictures of the leaders on the wall. They have a string of laundry and one light bulb. And they're telling the people in North Korea that they're living in utopia, that the people in South Korea are starving to death. Uh, they say that people in America, uh, that we abort our babies and then we eat them. And they said that everybody in South Korea has AIDS. That's why they can't come to North Korea. And they've just been brainwashed with all this garbage against the outside mm-hmm. world. 
But when we went to Pyongyang, I sensed a real hunger in the people, like they want to know what the outside world is like. And and I think we just need to really be praying and that God would break into that country because he loves those people. He loves them and Jesus died for them. But it's um, it was so oppressive and dark. But I have to tell you, both times I was there, I was, I was able to share the gospel with people and people were so hungry. It was amazing. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Pat Klein, founder of Vision Beyond Borders. Go to visionbeyondborders.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Michael Whitmer correcting a number of what he calls urban legends of theology. It's it's the American way, right? Uh, People think that is a verse in the Bible. Actually, it comes from Benjamin Franklin or Richard's Almanac. Uh, the, the Bible says, actually, God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.